Welcome to the Climate Justice Central podcast. This is where good climate journalism starts for me, in the newsrooms. Droughts chicken for 10 years. I visited this one village and the woman told me they haven't eaten for three days. When you're exposed to, to, to such scenarios, somehow you just you, you end up enthusiastic about reporting on these climate issues and topics. My name is Danielle Quertz. I'm an environmental journalist from Namibia. In my country, climate change is a scarce topic even though we are one of the most affected countries. Severe droughts, floods and felt fires are becoming more frequent, but few newsrooms make the connection to the climate crisis. This discussion with Teresa Leisgang, co-founder of the Climate Journalism Network, once again reminded me of the importance of climate journalism. We need to keep writing about this crisis. Strong words bring out strong emotions, and we need strong emotions to evoke change. My name is Lemo Chekai, a Zimbabwe-based environment and climate change reporter. And in my country, I would say climate reporting is a growing interest, although on the ground is still an alien topic. Most people don't understand why we should lead sustainable lives. Those who understand the topic, they only understand it from an adaptation level. And this is not through our reporting, but because of the simple fact that if you don't adapt, you die. In this light, in our conversation with Teresa, we will seek to explore storytelling skills that will emphasize the climate change message in a relatable manner. Good morning, everyone. My name is Tanil. I'm here with interesting people. Yes, I'm Lemo Chekai. And we're here with Teresa Leisgang. And she's actually the co-founder of the Climate Journalism Network and busy with some interesting work. We're so excited to have you here. Thanks yes, for having me. Yes. Good morning, Teresa. Good morning. Um, are we in summer here? It's a bit confusing. In summer, yeah, you are getting the full energy of Berlin summer. I can tell you in winter, it's a different story. <laughs> mm. <laughs> We're, yeah, winters in Berlin are gray and cold um, and long, and then life just explodes. It's super beautiful to see the blossoms like of all of the trees and flowers sprouting mm -hmm. at the same time as people going out and just enjoying the city. Don't as a matter of fact, there has been a big drought already. So spring is supposed to be the time that's nourishing for all kinds of plants to really sprout and develop their buds and their leaves. And in March, we only had three liters of rain square meter where it's usually 36 in Brandenburg so there has been the first big like climate event already happening and of course it's been underreported because it's something that people experience more as nice weather mm. it's yeah. sunny mm, uh, it's nice out when actually it's supposed to be raining a lot more the argument back home is uh, the northern hemisphere they have the money to buy the to buy themselves out of droughts and hunger mm, for when, sure. it's, when it's different with us. I mean, we will know at the end of the season. Um, I have been in touch for a, a research that I'm doing at the moment with a few analysts and people who look at the data ev every day. And basically they are saying that we are facing a global food crisis. This is partly due to climate change, but this is also, of course, due to, for example, the war that we're seeing right now in Ukraine, mm -hmm. but it will not 
as you say, affect people in the global north is for people in Germany not a reason to fear that there might not be any bread, but we are already experiencing the the prices rising. Yeah, and it's a hard pill to swallow because I know from my experience in Namibia we struggle with drought a lot. There's a specific place in the north, um, the Kunene region. It has been drought-stricken for 10 years, going on 11. Yeah. And um, I went down there at the end of last year to do a story. And I visited this one village, and the woman told me they haven't eaten for three days. So mm. it's not a fact of uh, we can just go buy bread or anything. There simply isn't food. There's mm. not water, so they can't grow their own food, um, the animals can't live, so they simply don't have food. They depend on the government to supply them with food. Mm. And also, you know, when you're exposed to, to, to such scenarios, somehow you just you, you end up uh, enthusiastic about reporting on these climate issues and climate topics. Mm. And um, I'm wondering now that you guys, it's you are not experiencing the, the effects, mm -hmm. really. So how how enthusiastic are journalists here about this climate change topic and mm. uh, environment journalism? I think it does have a big effect um, on me personally, whether I've seen or felt the effects or not. This is what we've seen last year. For example, in Germany, we did have a big flood, which was attributed to extreme weather events like that are going to become more frequent due to the effects of the climate crisis. And so there, all of a sudden, we have seen a surge in interest also amongst German journalists, because this is basically the story that finally, like, you can report something here. And it was devastating. Over 180 people died also in Germany oh. due to that flood. So that means we're slowly starting to see the effects here, but it's nothing compared to, of course, When you say a drought in Namibia and a drought in Brandenburg, it's just simply not to be compared. And so why we founded this network for climate journalists um, in Germany wasn't because there was no climate journalist before we did that. There have been people for decades, for many, many years working on the topic. They've been environmental journalists. They've been amazing colleagues who've done investigative work, who've done like all that you need to bring a story mm -hmm. to the public. The thing is just that this has been very much on an educational level. There have been offers for journalists to get training, to get more into this topic or that topic, knowing that like, yeah, we're spanning a vast breadth of different topics, um, reporting on the environmental and climate crises. Do you think you have reached a point where it's a more spoken about topic, where it's more wide reached mm. with editors and so? How has the success been with the network? So we're not even a year old. It still feels like very much we're doing the first little baby steps in face of a crisis that's so huge and, and global. It sometimes feels a little bit overwhelming, but we have had an enormous success like right from the beginning we had more than 2,000 people follow us on Twitter we had 800 people by now sign up our mailing list we have just launched um, something like a manifesto a carta where we describe what we think is good climate journalism maybe in short can you explain to us uh, what you would say 
or what you, what you would regard as good climate uh, journalism? Mm. I think for me, this starts before the story itself. Like good mm. climate journalism, as I try to lay out right now, for me is looking at, okay, what's the dimension of the crisis that we're looking at? Some people that are more on the activist spectrum say the possible extinction of humanity or like the end of our civilization. In climate journalism, <laughs> I feel like sometimes like these scientists be like, oh, but nobody understands what we're even what we're even talking about. And mm. I think this is where good climate j- journalism should start in putting each news in the spot that it corresponds. So. Mm. For example, if there is a news about hundreds and thousands of people being affected by a drought in India, it's not a possibility at this point in time to put it in the last page next to some Mm. other celebrity Mm. news. So this is where good climate journalism starts for me, in the newsrooms, making the decision where this news should be placed and how much importance do you give to it. So in that sense, it's not about is it a specific topic on the extinction events that we're seeing all around the world, on the fact that we are going to reach 1.5 degrees way earlier than predicted, and that means that all coral reefs on Earth will die out. It's not even so much about do I pick this topic or that topic. It's kind of like, is there somebody in my editorial team that actually sees the climate crisis Uh, on this global scale as important as it is for everyday life. I also think it's super important within the stories itself. I know in my country, usually when we write about these things like drought, it would be so many cattle died, so many people are living in hunger, but the stories wouldn't necessarily attribute it to climate change. Mm. It's just like they're writing that there is a drought. It's mm-hmm. not there's a drought because of mm-hmm. climate change. Mm-hmm. But how is it in how is it here? Do you feel like people do acknowledge that it is climate change the newsrooms? Yeah, it's an interesting exma- example. Actually, when I thought about like what is good climate journalism, I think definitely it has four points for me. The first being like, where is it actually published? How much space does it get within the news? But then the second one is definitely the framing and the narrative that you give it. This is what you're speaking to, right? Do we say it's a really hot summer day or do we say this is a drought the second year in a row? This will get more intense. We need more capacities. Like preparing for the climate crisis means we need more capacities in hospitals for old people who also in... Europe are very much at risk from these heat waves. Well, I was going through your profile and uh, I saw a part where you said um, you had to travel from from here into the global south and here you were trying to understand from the grassroots how climate change is impacting the global south. Do you think um, this is important for a journalist to, to be physically present at a disaster site? Hmm. And uh, if yes, how does this uh, maybe improve your writing mm-hmm. or how you put across the message? Hmm. I would say yes and no, but if yes, I think it's important how you are present at the disaster site. <laughs> so as climate journalists, we're traveling around the world. Are we not also being part of the problem, mm-hmm. aggravating the pl- problem? Mm-hmm. Isn't there like a lot of CO2 emitted due to 
us traveling around the world and just covering one story, coming back, like picking that story, coming back, <laughs> reporting <laughs> on it. And so this question was one that we raised, Rafael Thelen and I wrote a book about the climate crisis that got published last year and the whole process of, yeah, imagining that book and like what needs to be told, what kinds of stories do we need to tell right now that started way earlier in 2019 in the summer of um, after two summers of extreme heat waves and droughts in Brandenburg and in the summer of like uprisings of Fridays for Future. And of course, we we did think about like what's a sustainable way of traveling. And in the end, we decided it's not about us taking a ship going all the way down, calculating whether this is less CO2 than taking an airplane. <laughs> um, because it's not about that. Like the world will not stop running on fossil fuels. It's not about whether I take an airplane or not. Mm -hmm. It's about the attitude that I go to a place with. I read in one of your articles, you mentioned um, a quote from Torsten Schaffer, and he said that storytelling is an important tool for writing about climate catastrophes. And I think you saying that spending time with the people, that helps for doing the storytelling, because how can you really tell the story if you don't know the person well and really feel, kind of feel what they're going through? So do, do you... Do you think that helped um, spending more time with your sources to get out that storytelling element? Mm. Yeah, Thorsten Schäfer, he founded an organization called Grüner Journalismus. It's one of these organizations that I mentioned that's already mm. like he's been working on the topic for a long time. We tried to do that, to really spend time with people and also the lens of a white journalist onto people who are black and definitely in a different position than we are when we're coming. And so this like power hierarchy definitely was something that we thought about when when we thought about like, yeah, what is the story that we want to tell and how do we want to tell it? And so in a sense, yeah, I definitely do agree that time is uh, crucial here, but also it's not facts that will convince anyone how bad the situation is because facts in our brain they just like don't you know you don't you're not connected to facts emotionally i don't know mm -hmm. what you feel when you hear 1.5 no maybe because i'm a journalist i understand um because when you say 1.5 here in the global south it may be probably 1.5 but it's already hot down there it's going to be three degrees and mm -hmm. I, I do understand the repercussions of that mm. but when you tell a layman 1.5 degrees they will tell you so what mm. they, they don't get it mm -hmm. so I think this is where the, the element of storytelling mm -hmm. comes through you, you put out a story this person is feeling this way at mm -hmm. 1.5 what if we uh, we get to three degrees higher mm. you know I think it's it's easier to, to, to for, for for a layman to grasp from that perspective. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Even for myself, I would say though, if I hear 1.5, I there's a bazillion things that go on in my head, of course, and I see the the political efforts or no political efforts. <laughs> I, I think about activists standing. Um, at the big coal mines in Germany, because this is where they say here we defend 1.5. 
no meter farther you cannot like dig out more coal mm -hmm. like there's many images that come to my mind but it doesn't really touch me emotionally mm -hmm. but when i do think about this map that i saw of the world where southern africa basically the whole region of uh, mozambique also madagascar parts of south africa are just painted in gray in a four degree world that means it's unlivable mm -hmm. because there's just like so many cyclones that are going to hit there that basically it's it's not habitat for humans anymore like it's just impossible to live there it's crazy to think that they're not gonna make their food in that place like all of the culture all of the songs that I heard is just going to be lost because it's impossible for them to live there mm -hmm. that means like mm -hmm. in a four degree world this whole environment all of the mangroves and the happy vibes on the Sunday and uh, the <laughs> coconut drinking, it will just be gone. Climate change will contribute to environmental degradation that will displace millions of people in Africa. Most scientists studying the potential impact of climate change have predicted that Africa is likely to experience higher temperatures, rising sea levels, changing rainfall patterns and increased climate variability, all of which could affect much of its population. The actual and potential impacts of climate change in Africa are large and wide-ranging, affecting many aspects of people's everyday lives. Higher temperatures and drying up of soils, increased pest and disease pressure, shifts in suitable areas for growing crops and livestock, increased desertification in the Saharan region, floods, deforestation and erosions are all signs that climate change is already happening and represents one of the greatest environmental, social and economic threats facing Africa. It feels far away when we say 1.5 degrees, oh yeah, but I'll be dead by then or, you know, I won't, it won't affect me personally, but I think people should really start thinking about you're gonna have possibly gonna have kids and what type of life do you want for your kids mm -hmm. like I know I have an extreme love for Namibia I am so proud proud Namibian mm -hmm. and obviously I want children one day I want um, my children to have a happy life but I don't know what life is going to look like for them mm -hmm. because even if it's 1.5 year it's I think we said earlier this week it's going to be three degrees hotter Three or four. Three or yeah. four degrees hotter in Africa mm. because we're a hotspot. Uh, it would basically also be uninhabitable for my children to grow up in the country that I have this mm. big, big love for. Mm. I think, and here comes the interesting question, how will people stop thinking about that in a selfish way? Or how will people stop projecting this crisis to the future when it's already happening? So what is our role as journalists there? And how can we, what kinds of stories do we need to tell to make people understand and to touch them? I think it also touches on what we said earlier that even if it's just a paragraph, but if we write of, of these catastrophes, it should be mentioned. Like this is, this is how it is now. So when we hit 1.5 or higher, it's going to be so much worse. It's going to be this 10 times worse. Um, and really start to push that narrative as well and not only speak about 1.5 but be realistic to the fact that it's not going to be 1.5 for everyone it's going to be four degrees for some people
so in that sense, good climate journalism is giving people at least a possibility to know about the risks that they and their families are facing. And I think this is not the status quo at the moment. Like journalists, at least in Germany at this point in time, they don't make this information available to people, either because they're not writing this one paragraph after a news about the heat wave or because they're just pushing the topic to the side altogether and just reporting on a war in Ukraine. That is a big topic at the moment, but the question is always like, how can we make the climate a dimension of all the reporting that we do? So if we report about the Olympic Games in China, do we need to report only about that there's no snow now? Or do we should we also, as, as sports journalists, think about like, okay, well... Maybe now is the time to think about how do we envision future mega events in the sports, which have been for decades, I mean, even centuries, and like the Olympic Games go back thousands of years, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> a great source of inspiration and like international collaboration and like all the good things that sports can bring. But like, how do we envision that in a time of the climate crisis? Like, can we even have the soccer world cup in summer no we can't like we have to push it because we forgot that in qatar it's going to be 50 degrees hot mm, in summer yeah, yeah. Um, and that is accelerating in a lot of countries so are we actually looking at all of these things in any of the topics that we're reporting um that i think is something that isn't happening yet and that really needs to happen to uh, like make this dimension tangible even for people out there Yeah, like you say, climate change affects all aspects of living. So when you link all these, maybe what people call hobbies, how their hobbies are being affected or will be affected with the, with climate change, it hammers the, the message better. Mm. Yeah, I think that's definitely one way to just like say, okay, in your personal life, what do you like to do? Dancing, mm -hmm. it's going to be maybe too hot. Or like skiing, there might not be any snow every year. Yes, there yes. might be snow in certain years, but not in every year. What do you like? Um, yeah, like going for a walk with your granny. Well, maybe she's not going to be well off in hotter weather. So all of these things are things that we can think about to really <laughs> get on point with the stories that we tell. What type of stories are you working on now? Is there any big stories you're busy with? I realized that for me it was really important to at least <laughs> this attempt to write one piece that's coherent and that was published as our book that really shows all the facets of this crisis. And for me that goes way beyond just the facts. As I said, like it goes into topics that go quite deep into like, mm. who am I? What's my place in this world? Like, what is it that I can really contribute in this time of crisis? And so that touches on topics like the, a decolonial lens that we have to see, because if we just continue with an economy that has brought us into this situation, all of these injustices that we're seeing, for example, people in Namibia experiencing the, the droughts more severely, but also having less means to even meet them, like that's double unjust. Mm -hmm. And if we're just mm -hmm. continuing like this, this also like touches on that. So I realized that this book felt really important in the sense that we got the science right, we got the stories, but we also like really went deep into topics like what 
does need to change within our society here in the global north that we don't fetishize a car anymore? Like, what needs to change for me to be content with less? Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. just being satisfied is a very radical approach in a <laughs> consumerist society yeah. that we're yeah. living in. And so in a sense, right now, I'm just trying to find work outside of reporting that I see is important in times of crisis. Mm -hmm. So yes, I do write stories on commoning of seeds, on agriculture. I think there is by far not enough awareness within any of the newspapers, but also society at large, of course, that we are looking at a big crisis and that breadbasket failures will hit the globe next year and that we will not have enough fertilizers available because of the war, that mm -hmm. fertilizers will be a lot more expensive and many, many, many farmers who have now been made dependent on this agricultural scheme in Africa, but also in India, in many African places, in many places in, e in Asia, that we will hit a big crisis like way more severe, facing hunger than now. So I am reporting on this. I am reporting on kelp farming, which is an amazing, like positive story in Alaska where an indigenous person is just, yeah, creating this kelp farm, creating livelihoods for young people there, showing them how to do this like traditional way of farming kelp, which is algae living in the ocean that also can take in a lot of CO2. It's a way more like, sustainable way of capturing CO2 actually than a forest because it yes. cannot yeah it cannot burn underwater um, so like I am reporting on all of these things but I also actually have shifted my focus quite a bit from just this work of reporting to thinking about what kinds of systems do we need in a world of crisis and there I see the climate journalism network as one kind of resource for for also colleagues who maybe sometimes are just full of grief or panic because they don't see anybody else seeing the issue as it is. And that can be a, a beautiful community. But I also am working towards a cooperative housing project here in Berlin because I do see the housing crisis as very interlinked with the climate and crisis. Yes, yes, sure. And so I'm working on this cooperative housing project that we're trying to buy land and build houses where also migrant families and, and refugees can live because this is also a fact that we're looking at. More people will be on the move due to the climate crisis. So I shifted a little bit from seeing my work as purely like this is what I need to do, report more, because I don't actually inherently believe that we need more good reports. I think we need different structures. So yeah, the Climate Journalism Network is definitely a good good point for me to start with that. I absolutely agree with you there. Um, you know, we can keep writing and advocating. Sometimes you need to act on it. As much as, as, much as advocacy is good in raising awareness, I think it's the action that will bring a change. And, you know, if you're really rooted in what, what you report on, you know, most times we are already brainstorming what needs to be done you know, we are already brainstorming solutions. So why not wait? So why not act on it? You know, I was talking of solution journalism, focusing on the positives, on the solutions. But why not introduce something like active journalism or action journalism? You write a story, you see a challenge. If it's within your power to address 
the problem and bring a solution why not act on it so yeah i absolutely agree with you it's actually a, a challenge you've uh, you've given me to introduce back home i also read that you said you were raised in a ecological household so you were environmentally aware from a young age and do you think that helps you today that that contributed to who you are and what you do today and the passion for what you do today hmm how's that for you i think everyone in africa is is raised in an ecological household and uh, in what sense we have backyard gardens everything is organic we don't eat uh, non-organic stuff so why i gave this question back is basically because i do believe that education is important of course i have also a friend who's part of the black earth collective here which is a epoch and environmental justice collective in berlin and i've interviewed her for a piece because she's worked on the berlin food system and she said the same like i grew up in california my mom was a single working mom but but still she um to her it was really important that we had organic snacks and like my friends would still remember that we have like this fresh food it's the very same for me like mm-hmm. we never had the Kellogg's like I always had to eat the German muesli which is like very like full <laughs> wheat like I I would never like get the Kellogg's crispies with sugar on top mm. um so that definitely had an impact on me like knowing what is good food in the eyes of my mother which I wouldn't agree at that time <laughs> but now <laughs> I do but I think it is an interesting question to see like what is what is shaping human and also what is a good education four times of crisis that we're living in. And so in that sense I wouldn't even agree that it's only about knowing where your meat comes from, growing your own vegetables, being on the organic side of things. I don't mm-hmm. think that that's the only thing that kids today should be educated in. I think they have to know how to emotionally express themselves in a world where one crisis and trauma like is going to hit them after the other. And it doesn't matter whether that's covid which was really heavy on the kids or whether that's the next financial crisis and their parents will get into poverty or whether that's a heat wave that will kill many people around them and they will be faced with death so this is definitely for me one thing mm-hmm. that isn't looked at enough it's not only the environmental education that we need to give our kids it is also like how to be a human in a world of crises and i think this entails a lot of things like entails a lot of things like knowing who you are and kind of like finding your role in this world um so yeah i think environmental education and the electric car that we had very early on before anybody asked it <laughs> did shape me but i don't think it's it's the only thing i think it's like a lot of also just like this sense of like purpose and i want to do good for the world comes from many mm. other yeah. sources yeah, as well no i i also agree with you that climate education is so important like in my experience we didn't learn about it in school we didn't i i you know i've heard about global warming and climate change and so on and i had a basic idea of what it is but it wasn't something that we actively mm. learned about in school i think 
when I act when I got the bigger idea of what's happening and it's actually a crisis was with through this Young Africa Journalist Accelerator program. Mm. It was like the first time I was like, what is climate change? Um, and even applying for the program, a colleague of mine suggested it to me. And one of the requirements we need to give three stories that is related to climate or env- environmentally practices or so on. And I was like, no, I don't have stories like that. And he was like, you wrote a story about an eco village. You write about wildfires. And I, I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> and so I didn't even connect those things. Mm. Um, drought, anything. I didn't connect those things to climate change because I was never educated on it. Mm. So I think it's so important and especially not just focusing on educating, you know, the global north, but also getting out that to Africa and also doing it in languages accessible to to all the African communities. Mm. Um, Yeah, Teresa, thank you so, so much for joining us today. It was such a good discussion. It was good to get to know you here in the beautiful city of Berlin. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) So my biggest takeaway uh, from this conversation that you know it, it doesn't matter whether you're in, the, you're in the northern hemisphere or the southern hemisphere climate action is in all hands on deck so everyone needs to be educated on climate change and what we need to do to fight it um, and also my, my other biggest takeaway is about getting actively involved you know that we can't keep reporting we can be actively involved in fighting climate change and you know I'm, uh, I'm only figuring it out now that you can start as little as uh, you know, just planting trees, planting a tree every week or planting a tree every day. That's action. We need to be hands-on and act on it because it will also affect us as journalists. Thanks for listening to the Climate Justice Central podcast. For more engaging stories, go to climatejusticecentral.org.